Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Well, if you will, turn with me to Psalm 124. And if you need an outline, there's some up here in the front and some in the back. So Psalm 124. Uh, it's a psalm of degrees. In the King James, that's what it says, right? Psalm of ascents. Uh, one of these songs that's part of a series of psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 135. Fifteen songs that God had David and others write. Um, where people would sing these on their way. God's people, Israel, would sing these as they left their homes, villages all over Israel, and they would travel to Jerusalem, to the tabernacle or to the temple a couple times a year, about three, at least three times a year for those major feasts. And um, as they would travel by foot on all over, from all over Israel, they'd sing these songs. And so we're, we're on Psalm 124 tonight. Our, our men have been studying the book of 1 Peter in our Seven Arrows Bible study over the past few weeks. And uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, it describes Christians this way. God says, but you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I like that description of us as Jesus followers. Isn't that what's happened to us? We've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we've been forever planted in the kingdom of his dear son. And when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, that's what happens to us. And that's really the theme here in Psalm 124. Um, it's God's people singing their testimony on their way up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Their testimony of salvation, of God's great deliverance of us when we turn in faith to Jesus Christ. So let's read Psalm 124 together, and we'll pray, and we'll study verse by verse. Verse 1 says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, and then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us, and then the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul, and then the proud waters had gone over our soul. And blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. God, thank you for these eight verses in this short song. Um, what a beautiful reminder of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We have uh, enemies, Lord, the greatest one being Satan, sin, and ourselves. And um, we were in bondage. We were in prison to those enemies until Jesus Christ came, until we turned in faith to him, until the uh, sacrifice, the atonement, the salvation that you offer us in Christ. And it's through him that you freed us, just like we've read. And God, I pray that's something that never becomes commonplace or base, or run-of-the-mill, 
God, that we never lose the awe of your grace and your mercy and your love for us, the wonder of our salvation. I pray that we be reminded of it right here this evening and that we would live in remembrance of that, by how we live and change lives. Use us to point others to the freedom that's found only in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, verse, verses 1 through 5, they uh, really describe and, and talk about the malevolence of our enemies. Verse 1 sets forth a hypothetical if uh, question for our contemplation here. What if God hadn't saved us? Um, and verse 2 repeats the question, but it also identifies the real danger that God's people face. Do we have enemies in this world? Everybody does. Christian and unbeliever alike. Yeah, we've got enemies. Um, it says in verse 2, when men rose up against us. If it hadn't been God who came to save us, when men rose up against us. And, and I mean, I think you could just take a moment now and consider who he might be talking about. Think of all the Old Testament situations where this happened. Well, David being the author here, plenty of those spring to mind. You, you got 1 Samuel, right, where, where David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, um, you got Second Chronicles 20. That, that's one of my favorites where King Jehoshaphat, um, trying to live for the Lord, trying to lead God's people right, and then all of a sudden, nations around him form an alliance together and they come to attack him. And it doesn't look good because they're way outnumbered. I even think back in Psalm chapter 2 where God has David say, why do the heathen rage? You know, why do they act this way? Uh, don't they know that God is sovereign? Let me read one verse for you from that Jehoshaphat account. In Second Chronicles 20, verse 15, God sends a prophet named Jehaziel to Jehoshaphat. And it says this, Hearken ye, all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and, and even you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. It was the Lord's. It says when men rose up against us. And who, who is the us? Well, this is an important consideration. Because uh, our battles are God's battles. As followers of Jesus Christ, any testing, any temptation, any tribulation that comes our way, um, it's God's battle. For the Christian, it's, it's not just our battle, but it's God's battle. And, and here's why I say that. Because what is at stake in that? In that temptation that comes your way? In that trial or tribulation that you're facing? In those enemies? But what is at stake there? God's glory is at stake. In our victory, in the situation, or in our failure, God's glory is, is at stake. Any battle the Christian faces is a battle for God's glory. And that's an important consideration because how then would recognizing that truth, how would it affect your resolve to fight if you knew, well, this isn't just about me. God's glory is at stake. It raises the stakes quite a bit, doesn't it? Um, how would it affect your understanding of maybe even why you're facing the battle? That's what we want to know a lot of times, right? When we're going through a difficult time. Maybe when enemies are coming, why am I experiencing this? God's glory is at stake in the situation. I mean, I think uh, we'll go back to that first example, David and Goliath, right? And what was David's 
famous phrase in there. His brothers, other people are like, why are you doing this? Why are you coming out here? Are you trying to show off? Nobody else did. And David said, is there not a cause? What was the cause? He had this big country boy defaming God. He was making fun of God's people. He was making fun of the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. That's what David said there. I'm not scared of you. And that's what Jehoshaphat was told by, by Jehaziel. Uh, so don't miss the focus of this hypothetical situation here in verses 1 through uh, 5. Don't miss the focus. It's not on our enemies. It's not even on our affliction. The focus here is on our ally. If it not had been for God who was for us. And so this is a, that's essential if your faith is going to be victorious and you're not going to experience failure. To know that the Lord is on our side. He always has been and he always will be. In verse 3, it says, um, in this hypothetical situation, if the Lord had not been on our side when men rose up against us, well then they would have swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. See, in ourselves and in our own strength, well, we are poorly equipped against any enemy that might come our way. Without the Lord, we stand no chance. Uh, think again about that David and Goliath thing. Do you remember what happened after David had victory, right? He kills Goliath. He comes back into Jerusalem with all Israeli army there. The Hebrew army comes back in. And what were the women singing? Well, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousand. I wonder how David felt about that knowing his heart, as we've seen it in the Psalms, and in a song like this. Um, Tommy has led us through, on Sunday nights, he's been going through a life of David as king. And just recently, we studied when he was first crowned king. And um, he, he was still trying to deal with the Philistines. They, they have been a, a pain in the neck to Israel, you know, for much longer than David was alive. And, and they came, they wanted to test the new king. And so they came and they encamped at Rephaim, and they were going to attack Israel. And David goes to the Lord in prayer and he says, what should I do, God? Should I go up against him? And God says, go up against him. You'll defeat him. And he did. God gave him the victory there. They defeated him. And then, like it happens, you don't just do that. You don't have enemies for the rest of your life. No enemies keep coming. And they, keep, they come back. They came right back and camped at the same place. And David said to the Lord, should I go up again? And the Lord said, yeah, but do a little different this time. I want you to come around this way. And when you hear, I don't know if you remember this, when you hear the wind blowing through the tops of the trees, that's when you need to attack. And, and he did it. David obeyed. And I think David, one of his purposes of God having David write this song is to make sure that, no, 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 no. It is not Saul has killed his thousands and David has ten thousands. And now as king, David defeats for once and for all. They didn't have any problems with the Philistines the rest of David's reign or Solomon's reign. And David wanted to make sure that he knew the battle was the Lord's. And it was the Lord who delivered here. Because without the Lord, well, they would have swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. You know, um, isn't that what Jesus told his disciples? John 15, 5. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And we're like, oh yeah, that's true. You know, I'm not going to grow into a spiritual giant. You know, I want my heroes of the faith that we read about here in the Bible or, or Billy Graham. I want I mean, I'll never be that without Jesus. No, what does he say there? Without me, you can do nothing. Can't wake up. <laughs> Can't take your next breath. Your heart's not going to beat without Christ. Can't tie your shoe without him. 
We're that dependent. The battle is, is the Lord's. Verses 4 and 5 is really a, a reiteration of verse 3, but with a powerful imagery of a flood. And I wonder if David's having, uh, trying to get Israel to do this. Like if you question whether or not it's our own power that's doing this when our enemies come against us, or if it's God's, uh, is he, what is he taking them back to there? I, I can't help but think he's taking them back to the Red Sea. <laughs> Maybe even the Jordan River. When it says there in verse 4, the waters that overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul. It's a hypothetical again. They didn't do that to them. And then the proud waters had gone over our, our soul. Right? And so Israel's, this is their birth of the nation, really. And they were in Exodus in Egypt, and God calls them out in Exodus, and, and they become his people, and they go to Mount Sinai. But before they get there, they got across the Red Sea, and they're trying to escape from Egypt. And they get there, and they got the Egyptian army pursuing them, and they got this gigantic deep body of water in front of them. Doesn't look like a good situation. And this thing that was an obstacle, and that was almost a threat as much as the army pursuing them, God actually made it to be the very thing that delivered them, didn't he? Yes. Yes. The waters parted. <laughs> they went across on dry land. And then when the Egyptian army followed them in, what we read here is a hypothetical for us. What actually happened to the uh, waters overwhelmed them. It happened to the Egyptian army. And God does that, right? Um, and if, that, if he's, what he's talking about here is the Red Sea and the birth of, uh, of the nation as his people, well, then there's definite parallels to our own deliverance from the bondage and captivity of sin and, and death through faith in Christ and a deliverance to righteousness and, and to life. And, and so, like, for us, what's the application there? What is our Egypt? Well, it's sin. That's what we are in bondage to before Christ. And then what sin causes? Death and separation from God. But in Christ we've been delivered. What floods have you experienced? What, what look like obstacles? And you were standing there and you're like, I don't know what to do because I got them back there and I got this here and what's going to happen? And it was a danger, but it was also a deliverance. When we come to Christ and he, he makes a way for us, the water seemed to be the end of Israel, but... Instead, it was the very thing that delivered them. And, and that happens over and over again in God's word because that's how God operates. Think about Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're in that fiery furnace. And what was the thing that freed them? Were they burned? Not even smell of smoke on them. But the cords that bound them were burned. So, so the fire... That was supposed to be a danger. It was supposed to be an enemy that was going to kill them. God used that to, to actually deliver them. And so it's always, it's, it's beneficial for us to, as followers of Jesus, to meditate on what it, what it is that we've been delivered from, what we've been saved from. You know, to, to not lose the awe of the salvation that we have. Yeah, Every so often it's good for, for us to, Maybe have God peel back the, the ceiling of hell and realize that that's what we deserved. Every one of us. An eternity in hell away from God. But, but God. But Jesus Christ. And because of that we've been saved, um, and what we've been saved from, it's good for us to remember that because it, it magnifies our freedom 
It magnifies the magnificence of our emancipa emancipation. Um, you know, your, your testimony, you sharing what God has done in the salvation that he's given you in Jesus Christ, it, it can be the key that unlocks somebody else's prison. And you might be used of God that way. And that's the, what the rest of the psalm talks about. From Now from verses 6 through the end of the song. The magnificence of our emancipation. It says, blessed. Verse 6. Blessed be the Lord. So praise. We're going to praise the Lord. You ever hear somebody say that? Maybe they pray, Lord, we bless your name. What does that mean to bless God's name? It means to praise it. It's worthy of praise. Blessed also means happy. Whether it's talking about us in Scripture, like Psalm 1 starts out, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the Happy, that's a happy person. And God's happy. Did you, do you understand that God is happy? I think a lot of times we picture him as like, you know, judge up there. You know, watch him. Don't do that. Don't do that. And he is. He's holy. You don't want to see sin. But, but God is happy. We have a happy God. And do you know what makes him more happy than anything else? John, Pastor John Piper said this, and it's a great quote. The apex, top, the top of God's happiness is the echoes of his excellence and the praises of his people. Nothing makes God happier than you and I echoing how excellent he is in our praises. And what we just did before we we're here singing. And even what we're doing now and studying his word. When we as Christians remember our past predicament, um, the, the malevolence of our enemies, when we remember how bad off we were, and, and then when we recall the provision of salvation, we're praising God. We're echoing his excellence. We're rejoicing in the magnificence of our emancipation. This whole song is really a song of praise because it's an if, right? It's an if. God was on their side. God is uh, on their side. God is fighting their battles He's, because they're his battles. And when we remember our past predicament and then we recall God's provision, well, we're also fueling our faith in the midst of present battles with enemies and future ones because they're going to continue. <laughs> they will until Jesus Christ calls us home or until he returns for us. And this, this fuel in our faith, this remembering what God has done so that we've got faith right now today to continue to trust him and faith tomorrow that we can count on him. That man, that's the theme of, of, of especially of the book of, of Psalms. And I encourage you, and I've told you this before, it's something that Krista and I, that we were encouraged in Bible college to do a lot. If you go to the back of your Bible, you probably got a bunch of blank pages. Even on those like cheap award Bibles they give out of VBS. You'll have some blank pages back there. What are you doing with them? I mean, this is a great place to start a works of God journal. When God does something in your life, you know, it can, you don't have anything to put down there. And I can't think, well, think about your salvation. Write that date down there. A brief description of what he saved you from, and then continue to put things in there like that. Or, and nothing's too small. Look, I remember when I had one in the Army. I, that, that got me through a lot of stuff. Now, I remember I started one in airborne school. I don't like heights. That's a bad place to be if you don't like heights. 
And I remember after that first jump, when I got down and I was still alive and I had all my bones where they belong, I got back to the barracks room and I got the Bible and I started a Works of God journal about airborne school. Wrote that date down. That sure helped me when I got here, Fort Bragg and selection and going through all that craziness. So God answered prayer and I logged it so that when something else came my way, when some other enemy came up, I didn't have to wonder if God was going to come through because I had evidence that he had come through in my own life. Not just 66 books that tell me that, which those are good, but I had actual practical experience with, with God. You know, the long sad history in the Old Testament is the people of God forgetting who God is and what he had done. And when they did that, when they forgot the salvation he had given them, the deliverance he had given them from their enemies, when they forgot him, they ended up turning to other sources of help. We can prevent that just by doing what God's asked us to do here, by remembering, by teaching, by teaching our kids that, by teaching our grandkids that. Because look at verse 7. We were in the teeth. It says, our souls escaped as a bird out of the snare of the followers. The snare is broken and we're escaped. Blessed be the Lord, verse 6 said, who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We were in the teeth. We were in the snare. We were captive. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's how God refers to our condition before coming to Christ. We were citizens of the kingdom of darkness, as 1 Peter said. Not now, you've been plunked out of there and plopped down in the kingdom of his dear son. But don't forget what you were. Um, we were in the teeth. We were in the snare. You, you and I, we were headed to a Christless eternity in hell forever. That's the default destiny of every person that's born into this world but God. But the Lord delivered us from the teeth. The Lord broke the snare. We escape. We escape by faith in God's grace to us in Jesus that's a magnificent emancipation, isn't it? We're free. I try to think of movies like that. And that, those are good movies, right? When somebody un, unjustly charged, they get out of jail. Well, we were, we should have been in jail. We deserved, but we were freed. We were freed. And that's what David's trying to call our attention to here. And, and the cross and the resurrection, <clears throat> in Genesis 3, God promised Adam and Eve that through Jesus, he would crush a serpent's head. It did so much more than that. It disarmed, it destroyed the works of the devil. That's how God delivered us. That's the magnificence of our emancipation. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Talking about Jesus. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's how we're delivered through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our, our faith in it. And verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So once again, this magnificent emancipation, David wants us to make sure we understand it was not our own doing. It's the work of the Lord. How are we saved? What does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. For by grace you're saved through faith, not not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our emancipation is magnificent because it's solely the work of God. Titus 3, 4 tells us the same thing. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Revelation 7, 10, we get this picture 
and we hear the cry of all the redeemed in heaven. And, and that cry makes it so abundantly clear, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to Christ. It's not, nowhere else. It's not our own doing. Our, our magnificent emancipation is the work of the Lord. And it says here, our help is in the name of the Lord. You know, God could have just said our help is in the Lord. But he, he wants to turn our attention to a little bit deeper, a little more specific. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And when we see that, it, it's an idea of, of a relationship and intimacy there. It, it's a God you know. Isn't that who we have? A God who knows us and who wants to be known? Aren't you glad we don't just have this, like some people call him tersely, blasphemously, the man upstairs? That's not who our God is, is it? You know, a higher power? Here's a God who's revealed himself in his word. He gets specific. He's told us his name, Zah. Our help is in the name of the Lord because he wants us to know who he is. And we can count on him. And that he's worthy of our trust. A Jewish commentary on this is something called the Targum. It's a Jewish commentary on, on this psalm. And they translate it this way. Our help is in the name of the word of the Lord. Is what it says there. I thought that was interesting. Because what is God's word? It's God's word, right? What else is God's word? Jesus. Who else? There you go. Who else is God's word? Jesus. Our help is in the name of the word of the Lord, Jesus Christ. So can we go back to verse 1 and let's make it personal for us. If it had not been for Jesus who is on our side. Because it's Jesus Christ. And it's what he did in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And even now, what he's doing right now is seated at the right hand of God. And where it says in Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. That's what he's doing right now. If it had not been for Jesus Christ... It's Jesus that frees us from those who rise against us. It's Christ who delivers us from floods and fangs and snares and our enemies. And if we have any doubt, I always tell you to look for Christ in the Psalms. If, if we have any doubt that this Psalm is pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ, I think that's removed by the last phrase there in verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we've learned over the past few weeks in Psalms and in Revelation, according to John 1, and Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ, he's the one who created heaven and earth. He's the creator. So as we close tonight, let's just pause to think about what if. What if the Lord had not been on your side? And just for a moment, consider, you got enemies now, but consider having to face them without the Lord. And remember, I mean, it, it's good for us to remember what we're safe from, to, to never take that for, <laughs> so shouldn't say that. Don't take it for granted. That's actually what you're supposed to do because grace is granted to you. But what, what I mean is don't let it lose its awe. We, we say it's wonderful. Well, is it? Is it full of wonder to you? That's what David's trying to get us to consider. And then right now, and as long as you live, never stop considering the magnificence of the emancipation, the freedom you have in Christ. Has this been your story? Is it your testimony? You're saved? If not, it can be. The first part's your story. It's the story of every human being. You've got enemies. You've got enemies. But there's a second part, your story. Have you been freed? Will you place your faith in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf? 
And if it is, if this song has been your testimony, if you're saved and you know it, well then, with Christ-like compassion, we ought to be doing everything we can to make sure this is somebody else's story too. We should use our own testimony of the freedom, this magnificent freedom. Use, let God use that to rescue others who are under attack by, by malevolent enemies. That's a way we magnify the salvation that's ours in Christ. And if this song's lyrics have been your testimony, well then with wholehearted praise, we should never stop praising God for what he's done, for how he's delivered us from the freedom we have in Christ. Enemies are still going to be faced. You might be facing them right now tonight. And you face them tomorrow. And like I said, until God calls you home or Christ returns, you're going you're gonna to face them. But who's on our side? The Lord. Yeah, Christ is on our side. The great emancipator. Hold on to that. Verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. What, a, what a great encouraging song. Um, Tommy, praise team.